Minds of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just the starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. I'm always looking for feedback on the show. If you have any questions, comments, or even guess whom you would like to see me interview in a subsequent show, just drop me a line on Twitter. My Twitter handle is James underscore HSU. That's James underscore HSU. I am more than happy to talk to you about anything, any constructive feedback or any questions you may have about the show. This week on Humans and Magic, I am very excited, very happy to bring to you my talk with Jonathan Alexander. The reason why I'm so happy to bring you this talk is because Jonathan and I are pretty good friends and we actually talk quite a bit online about the legacy format in particular. I first met him, I believe, less than a year ago, but we've gotten really simpatico online in terms of discussing decks, life, all kinds of stuff. We've veered into uh, different pieces of territory like hip-hop and all these kind of different things and this talk I am not sure how focused it ended up being but I had probably the most fun so far of any podcast episode talking to him because when I talk to people on Humans and Magic some are guests whom I don't know well other guests are guests who are just really like friends people like Jonathan people like Julian Knob or on who I interviewed in another episode these are guys that I really enjoy hanging out with, and it just sort of happens that we have the recording on, so to speak. So, in this part one with Jonathan, we talk about his early life, we talk about how he got into magic, but we also talk about a lot of interesting uh, points of view he has regarding, well, just about everything. So, I hope you can check this out, and we will have subsequent parts to follow, and uh, let me know if you enjoy this stuff. Acid rapper, soccer, hacky sacker, cocky, khaki, jacket, jacker, slap, happy, faggot, slapper, whoop, whoop, or rocky, rocket launcher, shake that lefty, taffy, jolly, raunchy rapper, dang, 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 ski, 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 she do that thing for three retweets, the album feel like 92, now take that bump for he three peat, chance, whole acid, cruising on that LA. Alright, so today I'm here with Jonathan Alexander, a well-known legacy player and master of many, many things. Jonathan, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Thank you. I am good. I am doing well on this uh, rainy Beijing evening, uh, which is where I am right now. Uh, how about you? Where Whereabouts are you located right now? Um, I'm in Germany, in Western Germany, close to Düsseldorf. Düsseldorf, Cologne. I don't know if you know that. Cologne is kind of well-known throughout the world. Maybe not well-known, but people know it if they know about Germany. Um, I think you're pretty uh, pretty lucky to have rain because it's been a drought. Like, it's so hot here. There hasn't been any downpour in like a week or so, I think. And I'm really not made for the heat. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I. It, are you guys using the <laughs> metric system in Germany? This is such an ignorant question. Uh, yes, we are. Okay, well... Is there, 
I think there are like two countries only that don't use it, right? Yes, and the two countries are ones that I don't live in, I suppose, because China yeah. and Canada, where I grew up, they were both using the uh, the metric system. I think it's really only like the U.S. and some African country hmm. that use imperial, but I'm not sure. Okay. But why are you asking? <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I'm asking is because I wanted to make sure I wanted to make sure that you knew that earlier today in Beijing it was 35 degrees Celsius. So I think. That's about what it is here as well. Yeah, so I, I'm super happy just to have the rain because it cools everything yeah. down. And the air, the air hasn't been great this week. So, um, yeah, it's helping to wash away. Everything. I guess you are in Beijing, so the air isn't supposed to be that great, right? Yes, beautiful, smoggy Beijing. Where, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, on, on, it's, it's funny because if you have not lived in a place like this, you don't understand the emotional highs you go through when the pollution fades away after a few days. <laughs> like, does that happen? Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like getting punched in the face, and then you realize that oh, now the person is not punching me in the face, so I feel really great. Uh, I, I, I think know. I think I can imagine it because I was on vacation once, and we were close to the ocean in Belgium. And we came back to Düsseldorf, which is a reasonably large city. And as soon as we got from the autobahn, we uh, opened the windows of the car <laughs> and we immediately both got headaches. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's when you know you're, you're in somewhere different. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned Cologne. I mean, the only thing I know about Cologne is the product Cologne. That is that where it came from? Like the name Cologne. I don't know. Like <laughs> there is a German word that's Kölnisch Wasser, which means Cologne water. It describes the same thing, but I don't know if it's from Cologne. Um, otherwise, Cologne is known for its beer, I guess. And there's also the like a church. I'm not sure how it's called in English. Like it's a huge tower or something. Like a cathedral or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I see. I see. <clears throat> so yeah, let's kind of start from the beginning. Maybe you can just introduce to the listeners who you are and what you do, quote unquote, do in magic. Because I I'm not sure I gave you the best intro. So uh, this is your time. Uh, okay. So my name is Jonathan Alexander, which is the name I use on most online forums, Facebook, Twitter. But Alexander is not actually my last name. My last name is Kurz, uh, which is K-U-R-Z. I don't know, I just never use it. and I didn't even use it in school, whatever. Uh, I play Legacy only at this point. I used to play like every format except for Vintage, because Vintage is unfortunately too expensive. And what I do, well, I guess... I play Storm and I play Canadian Threshold. I play some other decks from time to time, but these are really the two decks I like the most and also the decks I've had the most success with. Apart from that, I don't think there's much to say. I Storm, I count to seven. That's all I do. <laughs> count to seven? Okay, well, I guess to draw the opening hand, right? No, no, counting to seven is Threshold. Okay, I'm 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 off my game today. It's like this tells you how often I play Magic now. It's like count to seven. I, I can count to seven and I can count to ten. That's right. what I. <laughs> okay, so tell me where you grew up and you know let's start from the very beginning. Like, 
where do you grow up? Who are your parents? And where did you go to school? Just start from uh, the beginning. For the first six years of my life, I lived in Cologne, actually. Um, because my parents are quite young. My parents were both 21 when I was born. So my father was still going to university. Uh, my father's a lawyer. And I can honestly not tell you what my mother does. Like, even if I was talking in German, I have no idea what her job is called. She is working for the state, but that's all I know. It's definitely not like she's an agent or something like that, but hmm. my sister doesn't know either. Nobody understands what she actually does. Uh, so it's a government job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was six, I used uh, I moved to Metman, which is a small town you are not supposed to know about, but I guess you do know about Neanderthals, uh, and they are named after Neanderthal, which is a part of Metman. Like, it's um, a, a valley in our town is called Neanderthal, and that's where the first Neanderthals were found, and that's why they're called that. Um, so I started going to school here, and I have, I have lived here until I finished school in 2012. Then I moved to Berlin for a year for university. I neither liked university nor Berlin. So I moved back here and started going to university in Cologne, which I also have to say I don't like because I don't like university. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to get into that in a bit. But uh, so you've been, you have one sister? Yes. Okay. And what does she do right now? Uh, my sister's 18 and she's just finished school. Like she's technically even still in school. She finished school last month, I think. And I don't know what she's going to do after this. Okay. She doesn't either, so it's not my fault that I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. We're all responsible for our own actions and what we <laughs> want to do, right? I guess so, yes. Yeah, so your dad, what particular uh, specialization was he? Um, he's a criminal defense lawyer. And that's about it, I guess. Did he ever tell you about some cases that he's had uh, I actually did some work in his law firm because I also study like quote unquote study law in Cologne uh, there are some interesting ones that I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about <laughs> <laughs> okay they probably involve criminals and they probably uh, involve some <clears throat> acts of violence I, I take it um, well there are criminals on either sides, like it's not, um, I don't know how law works elsewhere in the world, but if you sue someone in Germany, there are like three instances where you can, and two of them you do as regular lawyers, like there's civil law and there's criminal law, and you actually do, criminal law is uh, where people get fined only, where the, the victims don't get anything from what the, the criminals are fined. And civil law is where the victims are being benefited by what the, uh, the person who is the criminal is paying or whatever. Like if, you, if you're looking for compensation, you do a civil lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And if you just want someone to get punished, which usually comes from the state, you do criminal law. Hmm. 
Okay, I see. So you have to choose one or the other. Uh, no, you can do both. But you only benefit from one of them. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, now you've got me really interested and I have a whole bunch of questions, but uh, let, me try, <laughs> let me try to organize my thoughts here. Um, you said you studied a little bit of that in Cologne. Yes. But I assume that means you did not go to Berlin initially, university, to study that. Correct? Uh, no, I, I studied maths and philosophy, not to become a teacher, but to actually work in math. But I didn't like the way the university went. Like, I had to do homework, and I hate doing homework. So I decided, no, this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, was it just the, the homework, or was it like... Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Really? Wow, that was snap answer. Yeah. Okay, snap keep. All right, uh... <laughs> really okay and then um you also said you didn't like berlin what was it like going from living in where i guess where you are now in this area to to going to berlin like a bigger city um so the thing about berlin is i don't think it's a big city in like how other big cities are like new york shanghai beijing or whatever yeah it's just a big area where the city is and it's more like there's like 20 to 30 small villages stitched together. <laughs> okay. that, that's really how it feels to me. Like okay. you do have the, the center, which kind of sort of feels like a bit bigger city. Yeah. But really it isn't. It's just where people go because they live nearby. And around that area of the 20 to 30 villages, there's nothing basically. Mm. And this is one of the things I didn't like because... I like to visit friends in neighboring or semi-neighboring cities, like two-hour trips or so. I will gladly take those. I like road trips. I like riding trains. I like cycling. <clears throat> and in Berlin, you can do that, which didn't prevent me from having to take a one-and-a-half-hour train ride to university on some days, which was also one of the things I heavily disliked about the city. Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, some of the lectures I had, I had to take a one and a half hour train ride to, and others were within 15 minutes cycling distance. And I really did not like that, <laughs> especially the train rides in the winter when it was crazy cold because Berlin somehow was very cold in the winter and very warm in the summer. Uh, I guess that's about it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound great when you have to take the long train ride there, long train ride back, and you have yeah. to do homework. I mean, that's, I mean, what's yeah, up? Yeah, like, there were days where I came home at, like, 11 p.m. or so, and I had to leave at 7, uh, not leave, but get up at 7 in the next morning. So if I get home at 11, and then obviously I have to eat something, and I usually can't sleep right after eating, so I'm up at least until 1 so I get maximum like six hours of sleep. And I'm a person who really needs their sleep. Like I'm completely useless when I'm tired. Like I literally can't do anything. When I'm tired, it's like when other people are drunk. Mm. I, I literally can't walk straight sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So can I take it that in Germany, you don't actually have to do homework uh, when you go to middle school or high school oh you do you do have to do it i just never did oh okay so it was okay to not have to to do it right 
or okay as in the sense that you still could pass or whatever criteria well, you had? Well, yes, you could pass, but I did have some real troubles because of it. I think it was in eighth grade where I, I guess I decided in seventh grade that I stopped doing homework because it wasn't for me. And then in eighth grade, my teachers became really pissed about it. Mm. They, they took it, uh, I guess, as like personal offense when really I just thought it was a waste of time. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've always been like okay-ish in school and I never needed homework, so I didn't see the point in doing it. And it, it got better, like the final years of school, my teachers never said anything about me not doing homework. And there's actually what I think is a funny story. The, in Germany, you have these, uh, they're called Leistungskurse, which basically means like intense courses. Uh, every other subject, you have three hours a week and you're license course or intensive courses you have five hours a week and mine were math and english and my english teacher in the first lesson we had said if you're not doing your homework you're not getting top grades and well my reaction was challenge accepted <laughs> <laughs> and it did work out for me <laughs> wow you're just like a magician that's nice Yes. <laughs> so it wasn't really rebellion. It was just that you didn't see their need to do homework. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Very, very pragmatic. I like that. So um, if I may ask, probe further into your um, high school life, um, what was it like other than that, like growing up and other than going to school or maybe going to school? Like, did you have any particularly memorable moments? Um, uh you care to share? <laughs> uh, you, you mean in like my teenage years? Yes, outside of school. Exactly. What was your What were your teenage years like? Because I I'm guessing that uh, that might not be something <laughs> we usually talk about in the magic magic podcast. So I love to know. Okay. So disclaimer: I can be a terrible person, and um, not only to others but also to myself. <laughs> wow, this sounds very <laughs> ominous. And especially when I was like 13, 14, 15, I pulled shenanigans. Okay. Um, I, I started drinking very young. It's, I guess that's very unusual in the US, but in Germany, legal drinking age is 16. So uh, not for everything, but for like low alcohol beverages like beer and wine, I guess, as well. So I started drinking very young when I was like 13 or so. And I started drinking a lot pretty quickly. Hmm. <laughs> so there's... What, what, what were the reasons very, for, for doing that? I just enjoyed it. Like, uh, there was no reason not to, I guess. Like, <laughs> when, you're, when you're that age, you have zero responsibility. And I was fully aware of that. And I was also aware of the fact that that's, that was not going to last forever. So I wanted to make the most out of it. So one very memorable story, which is actually from school, but also not the typical school story. Uh, I think that was in eighth grade, maybe seventh. I was like 13, 14. I was very drunk when I got to school. And I decided, no, I'm not going to my courses today. I just joined an another class entirely. Like I think it was the year below me. Uh-huh. And I said in their lessons, 
the teachers didn't say anything. Like, <laughs> one of the teachers did not even realize I was not supposed to be there. <laughs> okay. Then for, for the last few lessons, I went back to my class and I was told by uh, one of my fellow pupils that uh, the headmistress, head I guess is the word, wanted to see me and talk to me about something. And I was really freaked out about it. Mm -hmm. uh, turned out she wanted to talk to me about something entirely different which was not going to religion education because I like, I'm not baptized or anything. So I'm not actually supposed to go there. So I said, no, I'm not going. Cause like, I don't know how you do it in, in uh, the United States, Canada or Beijing, but in Germany, it's mostly like your religious education depends on the religion sorry, <laughs> religion you're part of. Uh -huh. And I was part of no religion on paper. So I just wrote that down when they asked us. So I didn't have to go to religion. And then they told me I had to go, which I was not very happy about. And this was all they wanted to see me about. And I was completely freaking out because I was pulling shenanigans again. Uh, do you want more? I'm pretty <laughs> sure there is more. Oh, I don't know, man. It's My like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if we should like keep this part of the podcast. Cause like, you might regret this being on like online somewhere, you know, like you um, can totally tell me afterwards. I can, I can cut it. <laughs> I'm a heart on my sleeve kind of guy. Like if you ask me something, I'm going to tell you what I think right. and the truth. And these are stories I tell very lightly because like, I don't even drink anymore. I stopped drinking before most other people start drinking. <laughs> right, right. So. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like you reached awareness at a young age because the, the way your answer sounded like it wasn't really peer pressure as, as so much as. Oh, no, definitely I, not. I want to try this out because I have an opportunity to try this out. Yeah, no, there, there was no peer pressure involved because I was definitely. Basically, whomever I spent time with, lots of my friends were older than me. I was still usually the person who drank the most. And there was definitely no peer pressure in that. Maybe the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. there, there's another story I'm actually, if you're interested. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> so, for some reason, my school had an exchange program with a school in Amsterdam where you got to go there for like three days or so. Uh oh. And there was absolutely no supervision for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the morning we drove there, like we got there by train. Yeah. Uh, we met up at the gas station to buy beer for the trip. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is how it started out. And when we got back... We also hit up a supermarket on the evening before we got back to buy alcohol for the trip again. <laughs> and <laughs> the year after, the exchange was discontinued okay. for some reason I'm not sure about. The good times had to end. Um, by the way, I was 14 at that point. Right. I, I figured. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's why it's interesting. It's, it's like, oh, it happened last year. Then I don't care, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Um, 
I guess I guess you'll have to we'll have to do a separate podcast just on like your time in Amsterdam or something like that. Uh, actually, Amsterdam itself wasn't very interesting because it didn't offer anything I couldn't do here. Because we actually, I'm not sure how much you know about geography in Europe, Germany, whatever. Next to zero, man. Okay. The Netherlands are very close. Like Amsterdam is a two and a half hour drive or so only. Yeah. So like, there's an influx that you can feel when it comes to certain substances. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I understand what you are saying. <laughs> I would also like to point out that I do not take any drugs whatsoever. Like, I don't drink, I don't smoke weed, I don't take any pills, I don't smoke anything. Uh, yeah, I, so I kind of... I kind if, of you, if you listen to this and you're like a kid for whatever reason, you, try to, you decide to listen to a magic podcast when you're 12 or 13 years old, what I'm telling here is not <laughs> something you should try at home and something you should not replicate. Don't, and don't try I'm it. very lucky that this worked out for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, because I've known you not for a super long time, but you strike me as someone who lives very cleanly, right? You prepare your own food every day. You don't eat out at restaurants. Uh, you don't smoke. You don't drink. You try to exercise frequently. Yeah. And when we met in Seattle, you were saying that, I, I think actually you wrote about you know, how uh, you needed to be uh, have the right nutrition and that when you traveled, yeah. like it was, it was tough on you. So all this stuff, like I, I kind of knew you had a past just because you're a European person. <laughs> no, actually, uh, no, no, no. That's, I probably came out in the wrong way, but, but Did you have living, to explain that either way. You, you, what I mean is you, you strike me as someone who has been exposed to a lot of things in his life and has now become more experienced and wiser for it. I say this yeah. without any sarcasm. Like it's kind of like you figured it out quite early. Is the vibe that I received from you when I met you? Yeah, I actually talked about that to a friend, who also I think is like mostly clean. Maybe he drinks alcohol or something. But we talked about how we weren't doing things, not because people told us they were bad to do, but because we actually know that they are bad for you. Like we have seen what even alcohol can do. So, can do to people so we made a conscious choice to not do these things because there's just no point mm -hmm. like it's it's all upside to not drink in my eyes mm -hmm. and, and you've sort of experienced that yourself as opposed to someone telling you like oh exactly you do yeah, that or you yeah do i think that. i think that's exactly the point why i'm so uh adamant about it i guess I know if I start drinking again, it would probably not end well. <laughs> At least, like, on a, on a small stage. Like, I don't need an evening where I wake up the next day and think, wow, there was some messed up stuff you did there. Mm -hmm. I don't need that. I'm too old for that. <laughs> for me, it's almost like I want to be... I don't know about you, but speaking for myself, I feel like I want to live a relatively clean life because I want to be in control of my life. I don't want to feel yeah, like exactly. I, I don't want to feel like I'm losing grip or I'm dependent on something, whether it's yeah. like a drink or a drug or something, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like it can be, it can feel good to let go a bit on rare occasions, like for an evening, like when you're out at a party or a concert or whatever, 
like or even going running i think running is a great way of letting go because if you run there's there's the road there's you maybe music there's nothing else and on concerts and uh, parties whatever you can also get that and you can absolutely get that without drinking alcohol like i often go out actually i think i go out a, a lot for something for someone who doesn't drink and doesn't take any drugs mm-hmm. and i often like this is also one of the, the <laughs> funny things about my life whenever i go to a party like actually a party not house party or something yeah. surefire someone is going to ask me if i have mdma for them it happens every time i go out <laughs> like literally every time <laughs> i don't know why people tell me do you feel, do you feel like insulted or something like you you say like do i look like i have mdma or I don't actually know. i think it might be a compliment because i'm very good at enjoying myself without taking anything yeah and people think well he's having such a good time he has to be on something. He must be doing something. And people actually tell me that. Like, oh. um, people who meet me for the first time or never knew that I'm not drinking, not taking drugs, anything, they meet me at parties and they talk to me about whatever. And then for one reason or another, it comes up that I don't drink. They're like, wow, you like that when you're not drinking? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't probably go out as much as you do, but I, I do enjoy going out and not drinking either i mean i enjoy having a, a sprite or whatever non-alcoholic yeah. beverage and i actually enjoy hanging out with people and and actually seeing them get drunk and then i'm completely sober and I, I i enjoy sort of uh looking at them with a sober <laughs> with a sober lens I'm, i guess i don't know that that i'm not the biggest fan of maybe because i've been doing this for nine years by now uh-huh. um it, there was definitely a time when that was hard for me now it's just like i don't enjoy it um but when I go out, I don't go out to drink. I go out for the energy, for the people, for the music, whatever it is that is there. Yeah. Um, if I get that, then I'm happy. I like being happy, so yeah. I just do my thing, and it yeah. works out for me. That's, that's, that's the way to be, man. Being happy is the key. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> so, uh, back I can tell you from personal experience, being happy is better than not being happy. Yeah, that's something I think we can all... <laughs> We can all experience. Like I, I don't think oh. anyone ever says I want to be unhappy. Um, I thought I was dropping how to get out of it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So backtracking a little bit, uh, Jonathan, I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out at what point in this uh, illustrious life of yours that you started to actually. Um, you started playing games, I guess. <laughs> like, like, uh, what were some of the earliest gaming experiences you had? Um. <clears throat> Sorry, I've been playing games basically since I can remember. Because as I said, my parents are pretty young. Mm-hmm. So when the first Game Boy came out, I think my father gave one to my mother for like Christmas or something. Yeah. And I started playing on that as soon as I could, basically. So the first games I've been playing were like Tetris, um, Adventure Island. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I know that one, yeah. Um, <laughs> There's another one I don't get the name of. It was a puzzle game. And also Link's Awakening. The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. Oh, that's good which is, yeah, it's to this day one of my absolute favorite games. And when I was still going to university, like as I said, I was going to university in Cologne, which is like 50 kilometers from here. So it's also like one and a half to two hours train ride. 
And I used to just play Link's Awakening all the time on the train, or Tetris. Like, Tetris, I enjoy a lot. I enjoy a lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lifelong gamer. Yeah, and how did you go from doing that and playing on your Game Boy to being exposed to Magic for the first time? Um, my cousin, who is five years older than me, started playing Magic I don't know, around Mirage or so. So when I was not even able to read. Um, so I guess I've known the game for almost all my life as well. Mm-hmm. Like I was born in 92. So Magic is just one year younger than me. It's It's been around my entire life. Um, I don't know when I first was exposed to Magic, but the first conscience experience I've had playing Magic was I was, I think, 12 or so. Uh, we were one, we were on vacation with my grandparents, my cousin and I. And my cousin brought his cards. And we were building decks and playing. And I don't know. I, it took a long time until I started playing with my own cards. Like whenever I saw my cousin, more or less, I was playing magic with him. Like even if we were not playing magic, we were playing other games. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like that's. For a very long time, that's been the dynamic of my uh, of our relationships that we've been playing games, mostly video games. I'm watching Dragon Ball. <laughs> Dragon Ball, yes. Yeah. So like, like the original Dragon Ball, even. But to get back to your question, Magic. Um, I think I got some cards when I was like 14 or so. So in 2006. I played for two or three months. Then I started really getting into drinking and selling my cards. And <laughs> uh, um, then I picked up Magic in like late 09, early 2010. And I immediately got into competitive Magic because one of my best friends was playing competitive Legacy. And I just started spending a lot more time with him again, just... Watching them play made me want to play, so I started playing. So what was the what was your buddy playing when he was playing competitive Legacy? Um, I think at the time he was on either Goblins or Dredge. This was in 2010, 20, uh, 2009, so it wasn't like the Legacy people know now. Like Dredge was a very, very good deck. People were usually not prepared for it. Goblins was also... I guess decent, like many of the pillars of legacy that we have today didn't exist back then. Parson Flames wasn't printed yet. Delve of Secrets wasn't. Yeah. Deathrite Shaman wasn't. Abrupt Decay wasn't. Counter, uh, no, Counterbalance was there, but there was no miracles. So mm-hmm. Counterbalance decks were like good stuff decks with maybe Natural Order or something. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh-huh. those times well uh, because I got into competitive legacy. I think around 2007, 2008. So it, oh, was, yeah. it was not too far away from that. I mean, there was already stuff like Tarmogoyf and, yeah. but, but you didn't have Miracles. I mean, you had Supreme Blue or you had like Countdown. Oh yeah, Japanese decks. Supreme Blue was such a great deck. I like the deck a lot. Yeah, like whenever, <laughs> Anyway. Whenever I had the opportunity to play the deck in like random local tournaments, I would. Yeah. Because I also just enjoy the way the mana base looks. Like Volcanic Tropical Tundra, it looks so great next to each other. Right. Right, <laughs> but suffice to say, I I recall like Legacy being 
honestly kind of a cooler format back then because it was it wasn't yet so efficient and solved and they didn't print a lot of things like you said delver of secrets yet so it was it was very much uh it was very exciting. So, what decks did you when you got into it? What uh, what what did you play initially when you got into it with your friend? Uh, so, the first deck I bought cards for was fairies, like mm. blue, black, red fairies, bitter blossom, spellsetter sprite, um, and and the tombstalker version was the one that I was playing. Yeah. Um, and actually was reasonably successful with the deck in our local meta game. For for someone who started out just because I figured out how to beat Dredge. There was so much Dredge in our meta game. Like I had seven sideboard cards for the match. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I, I could hardly win against anyone, but I could beat Dredge. And to this day this is a skill that I have. I know how Dredge works because I have played so much against Dredge. Okay. And and so you were playing your deck as if it was vintage where you had like seven uh cyborg cards for, yeah. for Dredge. Like I had like Ravenous Traps, like I think Thomas Crypt as well, yeah. and Extirpates or something like that. It was insane. Did you have Fairy Macabre? Was that card printed yet? Uh it was printed but I didn't have them. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you're a fairy, so uh, I guess No, I no, I I wasn't like a flavor fairy player. I was like I'm not very good at this point, so I think the deck is good Fairies player. Right, right. That was a cool deck, though. I remember playing Actually, that Face Stalker. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the deck wasn't even that bad. Like, Tombstalker is a very powerful card. Same for Bitter Blossom. Both cards can lead to free wins. Yes. So, and also, you have Force Days Lightning Bolts. Oh, this is kind of my niche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it can still be a pretty good deck. Today, I think, because it can be, it can be very grindy, and Tombstalker and Bitter Blossom are pretty good. Oh, I think there are matchups the deck can win. Like maybe the Miracles matchup, for example, isn't bad. You, you definitely do have room for spell snares. You have Bitter Blossom, which is a pain for Miracles to deal with. Maybe right. Tombstalker isn't great, but Spell Such a Sprite is also a neat card. It might be decent. Yeah, I I just loved playing. I still love playing Tombstalker in every deck that oh, I yeah. can. I mean, I just I have like four copies, Japanese copies of Tombstalker. I just love I just love I, Tombstalker. Like when I play Team actually, America. So Yeah. Yeah, I like Team America a lot. It's uh one of the decks I enjoy playing more than others. But I actually don't own any Tombstalkers in paper, I don't think, at this point. Okay. So what was the scene like it, when you played in Germany that at that time, I mean, for Legacy, was it a small crowd or? It was compared to now huge. Like <clears throat> maybe not the first year or so I played, or first half year I played, because I wasn't really playing then. Like it was I was playing actual local tournaments, like fifteen kilometers or so from my house. But I, was, I wasn't driving like half hours or so to get to real tournaments or half hour to hour trips. I wasn't doing those. But <clears throat> the local legacy tournament we had was big. Like, like not the, the actual local in Düsseldorf, but we had Iserlohn, um, which was like consistently seven rounds. And that was a great tournament. It was also a very tough tournament. Yeah. Like, Basically, once you started winning, when you were 2-0 in the tournaments, you were only facing like real good players. You were Fabian Gertzken. I don't know if you've heard of him. 
He has two Legacy GP top eights, uh, a Bazaar of Moxon top eight, and maybe there's more. He's he's always been playing ever since Survival of the Fittest got banned, uh, punishing Fire Maverick, and he just randomly picks up the deck after not playing for half a year and takes it to a GP and makes top eight. It's insane. Uh, that's what he did in like Strasbourg, I think. The one that uh, Thomas Innerwolzen won with Death in Texas. He didn't play for half a year before the event and picked up the deck and made top eight. It was insane. Uh, so he was one of the players you consistently, constantly had to face when you were winning. Um, Timo Schunemann, who I guess isn't the greatest player, but still a very um, storied player. Like He won GP Ghent in 2012. Yeah, that's, that's the name I recognize, yeah. Um, he also... I think split the finals or something of the Ovino Spring Tournament that year. Yeah. Oh no, it wasn't Spring. It was regular Ovino. Um, Carsten Linden. I don't know if you've heard of him. I have. You should. You should have read the name if you've read any of my articles, because Carsten is the person who really introduced me to Canadian Threshold, mm-hmm. and taught me most of the basics of the deck, I guess. And those are just people are played basically every tournament there. Like if you wanted to go six and one or seven and oh, you had to be two of these people at least. Right. It was absurd. It was a very high caliber tournament, I think, for local legacy tournaments. <clears throat> Can I go back for a second? Yes. I I'm trying to understand because you didn't play competitively until this time period. Was it difficult for you to even get into the the habits of playing in Magic tournaments for the first time? Oh, no, no. <clears throat> I wasn't playing super competitively. competitively. I, uh, I started out completely competitively when I picked up the game. Like, after the brief stint I had in 06. Like, when I got cards in 09, 2010, it was for the purpose of going to tournaments, not going to big tournaments, but definitely going to tournaments and also very strictly for the purpose of winning. The first cards I bought were actually four copies of Force of Will. And then I just started buying dual lands immediately. I first bought Forces, then I bought Fetch Lands, and then I started buying dual lands and smaller things, which was a very wise move because dual lands were very cheap at the time. I think my place at Forces cost like 40 euros or so. And uh, they. Okay, so you were very purposely going in there, like, uh, at that time, just trying to grind and trying to actually compete, right? Yeah, my friends were playing tournaments, so I decided that's what I want to do as well. Okay. And and was there, I mean, you you mentioned this kind of tournament where you, to go, you know, seven-rounder, you're playing against tough opposition. How long did you do that before you felt like you were you were becoming better or you were leveling up as a player? Maybe half a year or so. Um, I think my breakout was when Mental Misstep was printed. Like that, That's when I became good. Like, not bad, maybe, <laughs> rather. Um, was it because of that card or you're just saying like that, it, it, like that until that time? Um, I, I don't even know what I played before Mental Misstep came out, to be honest. Um, when did Mental Misstep come out? I think it was that 2011. That was 2011 only, right? Yeah. What did, I, what did I do in 2010? 
I have no idea. Either way. Um, <laughs> so shortly before Mental Mistake came out, Reed Duke made top eight at one of the Star City Opens or 5Ks, whatever they were called back then, um, with Natural Order Rock. And I thought, well, this deck looks great, but I'm definitely not convinced Dace is a good card in this deck. So it's a complete deck, I guess. Um, and then very shortly thereafter, actually on my birthday that year, I think, um, the Godbook for New Phyrexia was spoiled. For those who don't know, the Godbook is the list of all the cards with all the uh, rules text on them. So someone leaked the entire set, which was not a nice thing to do, but it did lead to me finding out about Mental Misstep. And I thought, wow, this card is insane. And this can definitely replace Days on the Natural Order deck. And then it's a very, very good deck. And I immediately picked it up. Mm -hmm. Like, immediately. I think when Mental Misstep came out, I, I pre-ordered like 12 copies or so of the cards. Mm -hmm. um, I started playing Natural Order Rock the day Mental Misstep was legal in tournaments. So you, you, you basically picked up all the cards for the deck, like you bought them, knowing that mm -hmm. the Mental Misstep is going to take the, take this deck into a new level. Yeah, like the few cards I was missing. I think I had like Vendillion Clicks, Natural Orders. I think I was maybe missing Noble Hyrox or so. Maybe some of the Fetchlands, but at that point I had most of the Legacy card pool already. I see. And bef and you had been playing for competitively for, I guess, two years before this, right? Or a year and a half? Yeah, not even a year and a half, I think. I think I started playing... Like the first tournament I played was in January... 2010 so okay. and I, I started playing tournaments as soon as I could mm -hmm. as soon as I had enough cards mm -hmm. uh, maybe I was playing Team America before Mental Misstep that right. might be the case right so you had not played really combo decks for the first year or so right and then now you're picking up um, you're, you're picking up this uh, amazing deck which was amazing at the time and from your writing, I remember you... Is this like your all-time favorite deck that you played? Um, was this deck? It's definitely in the top three. The top three are Canadian Storm and Natural Order Rock, for sure. Okay. Um, I, I really can't say which of them I like the most. Like, I enjoy playing Magic in general. And I think it's fair to say that my favorite matchup to play is Storm versus Canadian Threshold regardless of which side I'm on. Mm. Like the, the matchup is, if you play the right lists against each other, is so insanely intricate, and the smallest things can matter, and there's so much read-based action going on if you have the correct lists. Like, if you have the no Infernal Tutor lists, there's so much of, oh, does he have tendrils in his hand, or does he have Past in Flames? What am I going to do? Am I going to stifle this Fetchland? Or is it actually reasonable to keep the stifle for the tendrils he for sure has in hand? Mm -hmm. like, these games are super interesting, and you really get to play the player rather than the cards. And I very much enjoy playing the player. Right. So tell me about that. The Canadian Threshold deck, when did you start playing that? Um, I briefly tested it for GP Amsterdam in 2011. Uh, I played a terrible version of the deck. I actually read 
quote unquote Canadian threshold for the GP, which was really only for lack of better options because the league, uh, the week leading up to the GP, I was in England with school and I came home on Friday morning, I think, from a however many hours bus drive it is from London to where I live. Um, I was completely destroyed when I got home and I slept for like six hours after getting home. And I thought we were all set for the GP, but we weren't. We had nothing. We didn't have a car. We had, didn't have a hotel. So I had to take care of everything. And we drove there like or so, maybe four. Um, it, it was terrible. It was one of the worst tournaments I ever played because there were just so many outside factors that were going wrong. Like I had no testing. I was completely destroyed physically. I actually almost fell asleep driving back on Sunday, even after sleeping the night. Um, and this was basically the only time I played a version of... It's not even Canadian Threshold. I think I played Rock Delver, which is not what I call Canadian Threshold. What's the difference? Aware, aware of how I talk about the deck. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> uh, Canadian Threshold is this well or machine with Nimble Mongoose, Stifle... And really, it's a deck. And Rock Delver is Delver of Secret, Lightning Bolts, Tropical Island, and Random <laughs> You're such an elitist, man. You just, you just described the same deck. No, no, no. It isn't because Canadian Threshold, Delver of Secrets is not your main strategy. In Canadian Threshold, Delver of Secrets just magically works with all the other cards that are good in the deck, which is why Canadian Threshold is maybe my favorite deck of all time. It's definitely the best build deck of all time okay. because everything in the deck works well with everything else in the deck. Mm -hmm. The mana base works well with the cantrips. The cantrips work well with Delver of Secrets and uh, Nimble Mongoose. Wasteland works well with Tarmogolf, Nimble Mongoose, your soft counters, Delver of Secrets as well. Tarmogolf works well with the cantrip suit because you get cards into your graveyard to grow Tarmogolf. Everything works perfectly together in the deck. Rock Delver is this more good stuff deck that kind of wants to just deal damage. Mm -hmm. Like Rock Delver is more like Red Delver is, only you play more creatures rather than burn spells and less explosive creatures. Mm -hmm. like, if you're not playing Stifle, you are not playing Canadian Threshold. Got it, got it. So if, you look if, you're, if you're not playing Nimble Mongoose, you are not playing Canadian Threshold. Whether it's because you play Snapcaster instead, which is what people did at the time for whatever reason, or if you're playing Hooting Mongrels, no disrespect. It's no disrespect. It's not Canadian I, Threshold. I, I realize I can come off as very arrogant here, but it's just not the same deck. It just plays differently and it should be called something else. Okay. No, I want you to know that I do. I am not trying to imply that you're arrogant. I actually find I, our I know that I sometimes am, and I definitely come off as very arrogant. I, I'm at times. very entertained by this. I, I without I say this without <laughs> any sense of sarcasm or irony. Okay, I hope you're not the only person entertained by this. Well, you know the people who are listening to this will be entertained. So let me put it this. I way. hope so. Yeah, it won't be like, oh, this this guy Jonathan Alexander. I don't like his writing. Let's let's listen to the two hour podcast, with Jonathan <laughs> Alexander. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I think people do that. <laughs> okay, so so yeah, like hate listen to a to a podcast. Uh, Maybe not with me because I'm not like super popular. Uh -huh. But I think there are definitely people, especially in gaming, where people would do that. They're like, I hate this guy, but I have to listen to this because there might be. I have some to listen to this because. 
whatever he's going to say, I'm going to twist it and I'm going to turn it on. <laughs> I'm going to troll him on, on Twitter or like online somewhere. Yeah. yeah and he, he says X and X and I'm going to completely take that quote out of context. <laughs> make him look like a terrible person. Yeah, I, I guess we'll have to figure out what we should probably like at the end of the show figure out what quotes that person can use to take you out of context. That would be um, a, yeah. I think if you want someone to look for quotes, it's Kai Savatari because <laughs> he tends to tell me that I'm a very quotable person because I can say outrageous things. <laughs> well, he's a very quotable person too. I I think. <laughs> I think he's a hilarious person. His his Facebook updates are very hilarious and <laughs> uh, he's. he's He's outrageous. <laughs> so right, right. Um, but so going back to the 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 Rock Delver versus Canadian Threshold thing, it, the way you defined it, then something like Grixis Delver is a good stuff deck, so it's not really a true Threshold or a yeah. Temple deck, right? Yeah. Actually, um, this is a very neat point because it's also what I don't like about the deck. It is half a good stuff deck and half an engine deck. Like you need all these different cards, and they are only good if you have them together. Mm-hmm. But on paper, they still look good. Like Gytexian Probe is a great card in some decks, but in that deck, it can do just nothing. Mm-hmm. Only costs you two life, and that's not what you want out of a card in a Delver deck, right. like or or a, a good deck. Like um, Gytexian Probe is great if you have Young Pyromancer and Cabal Therapy with it. But it's very mediocre if you don't. Um, this is like, I would call it the Esper Stoneblade problem, where in every matchup, half of your deck is in- insane, but the other half is downright terrible, and you just need to draw the right combination of cards. And Grixis Delver is very much like that. I think like, whenever I lose to the deck, or just whenever I see the deck winning, to not sound bitter... Um, it looks to me like they need every single one of their cards. I which com- is I completely, completely agree with fair. you. Yeah, that's completely fair. But if at any point you draw the wrong card for what you're doing right now, yeah, you are doomed. You are losing. Like, yeah. If you draw too many creatures, you lose. And this is a deck that plays a lot of creatures. They're like thirteen to fourteen creatures in the three guy Texan probe deck. That's way more than I would ever play in such a deck. Yeah, you draw two anglers and you just like fuck. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if we can curse on this show. Oh no, no. I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're talking about drugs and alcohol. I mean, why not, right? I mean, I've specifically pointed out to younger listeners. <laughs> but you know what? You sound like someone who is who has experienced cursing in the past and have now decided that oh. it's not something you want to do. So. I, I didn't want to specifically like. Oh no, that, that is definitely not the case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't usually curse, but I, it felt appropriate because I have been in those cases where I've drawn the two anglers, or I've been in those cases where I had the pro, but I had no follow up, like a therapy or a young pyro on the board, so it just felt miserable. It's like, wow, yeah. I just spent two life. I know what he has in his hand, but I can't do anything. Like, I'm not a storm deck. Like, so I, that okay, doesn't help me. <laughs> you have the information, but what do you do with it? Nothing. You just play your next creature, which does nothing to further the board. Great. Right. You pay two life for nothing. Exactly. And then where you have those games, like we talked about it, where like if Deathrite gets killed, then your deck just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. This can happen as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we've gone on a bit of a fun tangent there, but 
Uh, so Canadian Threshold, you played that, and what point did you? Well, I guess it was in that tournament you played it. It was a it was a terrible tournament due to other factors, but well, you kept I did not play Canadian Threshold there. Oh, you didn't. That was you did not one play of there. the tensions. I played Rock Delver there. Oh, I see. You played the the worst <laughs> form of the deck, and then and then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and when did you actually start playing Canadian Threshold proper? Um, so start playing is maybe not the correct thing to do because at Bazaar of Moxen 2012 um, it was shortly after Everson Restored came out and therefore Miracles became a deck mm-hmm. and I was pretty much set on playing Miracles in the tournament because a friend of mine built a very very good list very early on basically the weekend the deck was legal he had what would become the stock list mm-hmm. for the next year or so when people were still trying to figure out like how many temporal mastery you're gonna play, we had like this just Snapcaster, counter spell, force of will, two entreat, four terminus, Jace, counterbalance, all counter magic deck. Like that's the deck I was accustomed to what was miracles at the time for us. Yeah. Um when other people were like, Oh, I'm gonna play four temporal mastery because time walk is so good when the card just is terrible in the deck. Mm-hmm. Either way, I was set on playing that. And then the evening before the Legacy event, um, okay, short tangent there, but it actually has to do with the tournament. We got there at like 11 p.m. Wednesday night. Mm. Um, didn't get anything to eat because everything was closed down. Thursday was a holiday and Bazaar of Moxen, the traditional location is like in a small mountain village. So there's not too many options. So holiday the next day, no food for me. Okay. And on the evening of Thursday, we were at some friend's hotel, still not having eaten. And they were testing vintage. And I was like, okay, I'm bored. Give me a deck. Yeah. So Carsten Linden gave me his Canadian threshold. And I was playing against Fabian Gertzgen. Yeah. There was, I think, before no it was after his first gp top eight and i was convinced i was the worst player by far of our traveling group uh-huh. and i played canadian threshold against fabian not only did i enjoy the deck a lot but i also kept winning against what was supposedly a not very good matchup so i figured okay if it's going this way i'm playing the deck tomorrow mm-hmm. so this was the second tournament, I registered Delve of Secrets and Lightning Bolt. And the first tournament, I registered Canadian Threshold, having not touched anything resembling the deck in half a year. And so the event I played it in was supposed to be this trial for the main event, Bazaar of Moxen, mm-hmm. and ended up having like 480-something entrants. For a trial. <laughs> Yes. Wow. <laughs> and was 10 rounds of Swiss. And I just wow. sweeped the tournament. <laughs> like, I had not played the deck. The first round, I was playing the mirror, and I was like, okay, this is, this is not going to go great because I have no experience in this matchup. Yeah. I've literally never played the mirror. Uh-huh. And I just beat him easily. And then I just started getting all these supposedly bad matchups like Miracles three times or something and also very good players. I think like half of my opponents in the tournament had GP top eights. Yeah. And 
I just beat everyone. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe it's going this way. Um, then at 8-0, yeah. uh, we were the only two undefeated players left. I played against Sneak and Show. And I think it was game three where I had literally nothing. Yeah. My hands was all creatures, spell pierce. And my opponent was like, preordain ponder whatever yeah i looked at him and slammed the preordain uh the the spell pierce having left nothing else in hand and he started playing super scared immediately <laughs> gave me the opportunity to draw like five more counters or so really <laughs> and yeah like that, that was one of the craziest matches i've ever played i think i survived like two emrakul attacks in one game at least one like i think i stifled and blocked and then stifled again or something like that or just took the damage and killed my opponent on the backswing it was insane um uh and then the the, the last round i was like do you want to draw my opponent is i was paired down he was like no i don't want to i want to win yeah. i lost the first game i was like do you want to draw it's like eh understandably because he, he's up 1-0 yeah. um, then I beat him game 2 now, again I offer him the draw and he's like nah let's play <laughs> like okay <laughs> be careful what you wish for right right uh, I beat him pretty hard <laughs> and I actually offered him the draw again oh okay uh, which I guess was very nice of me yeah but very stupid as well because now in my uh, in my planeswalker points history I don't have the 10 sweep but the 901 oh you missed that achievement. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and from there on out I was like okay I'm playing this deck this feels very good I somehow can't lose okay but now That's, that it but now that it's been like like Jonathan now that it's been a few years since that tournament like how did you go on that absolute roll or absolute heater with the deck? Was it was it was it like the 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 reading the opponent part that you talked about, or was it like other things too? I think it was the style of the deck where you can be very aggressive out of nowhere. Um, before the before I started playing the deck the year before there was um, Magic Twenty Twelve Limited. Which was a very aggressive format because Bloodthirst was legal, uh, not legal, but part of the format. So you had you had these situations where you would trade cards for damage, and also cards to make your creatures bigger, which I guess is also trading cards for damage. And Canadian Threshold does a lot of that. And I think like having this fundamental basis of playing aggressive decks and Magic in general just helped me out a lot. And the other parts I just started getting used to by playing the deck more. Right. I, th I think uh, I talked about earlier how I was winning against Fabian with the Punishing Fire deck a lot. And I think this is still one of my favorite games and it was actually a testing game. It was like the third or fourth game only I played with the deck. Um, I had a Delver of Secrets on turn one or two. And on turn two... Fabian punishing fire the Delver. I dazed that. Yeah. Um, turn three, he played Growth of the Burn Willows, fired again, and I spell snare that. This is something I think a lot of people would not usually do. But, uh, but I decided, okay, the only way I can win against this punishing fire engine is if I start pressing damage and he just wastes his time doing nothing. Right. So I countered like the punishing fire two more times or so. 
even forced it once. So the punishing fire traded like six to one or so, mm -hmm. or six to zero rather, because you still had the punishing fire. And then I finished him off with like two lightning bolts or something. Mm -hmm. I think this is the kind of game that many people, if they're new to the deck, do not win, but that you are supposed to win because your opponent is really doing nothing while you just keep pressing damage. And being able to play that kind of game because I had the experience of M12 Limited is, I think, why I was able to win with the deck. Like that's that's classic tempo right there, right? Like someone yeah. someone looking at it from the outside might say, "It's severe card disadvantage," or "Why are you doing that?" But yeah, exactly. You understand when to shift gears and really go aggressive like, because that's your chance to win, right? One of my favorite things to say about Canadian Threshold, and this also applies to some other Delver Secret decks. It definitely applied to the Blue Red Delver Treasure Cruise deck in Modern. Is if you are playing Lightning Bolts, don't be afraid to use your cards as Lightning Bolts. Like if at least part of your goal in the game is to lightning bolt your opponent, you should consider using your other cards as lightning bolts as well. It might not always be correct, but there are definitely going to be situations where you just end up wishing, oh, if this card only had been a lightning bolt. Like if you play against Miracles, for example, the, the Canadian Threshold versus Miracles matchup is very intricate, I think. Like game one and the post-board games are vastly different. Mm -hmm. In one, you also have to play that kind of game where you you try to use all of your cards as lightning bolts because you do have lightning bolts in your deck. And if you don't anymore have them in your deck, you stop doing that because you don't end up drawing lightning bolts when uh, you could have pressed more damage and won that way. Sure. Like If you have lightning bolts in your deck and you don't press for the, the damage, you can end up in situations where you draw lightning bolts and they're useless because your other cards have not been lightning bolts. But if you use your other cards as lava spikes, lightning bolts, whatever you want to call it, these lightning bolts you draw later somehow kill your opponent. Right. That's a really good point. It's something that I've not thought about. Like you that that's that's that goes into what you're saying about the deck being truly synergistic because like yeah. the, the cards themselves have to you can assign them different roles and it's up to you yeah. to to make make that assignment right no one's going to yeah, do it exactly. for you yeah exactly uh, yeah the canadian threshold can be it can be a control deck a very hard control deck by now it can even be a prison deck thanks to winter orb it can be an aggro deck as well it can also be a combo deck where you just delve people so hard that it's not an aggro start anymore. It's a combo start. Right. I've been on the receiving end. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun with this deck. And oh, yeah. I'm actually surprised because uh, by by this conversation so far, it sounds like you had not played Storm up to this point, right? Like 2011. Um, that's not... I started playing Storm in 2011. I wanted to play Storm at GP Amsterdam. But as I said, I didn't have time to test the week before the event, and therefore my Storm list wasn't ready. Like um, I started testing Storm for the GP because I was I was really just testing everything that was like said to be good in the format, yeah. and Storm was one of those things. And Past and Flames and Gatexian Probe had both recently been printed but not yet put to use. Yeah. And I pretty quickly figured out that those were very good things, and. One thing I noticed were, was that with Gatexian Probe, if you 
wouldn't fire them off immediately when you drew them, you would quite often end up in situations where you have an infernal tutor and you don't even have to go for passing flames or nausium anymore you can just go for tendrils and that's already lethal thanks to all the cantrips you're casting and maybe your opponent is casting counter magic or something so i realized that and then i realized well tendrils can be a very good card to draw because then your infernal tutor can't get countered if you just draw tendrils and kill them right nothing interacts with tendrils um this is how the whole grinding station thing got started and I was very unhappy about not having the deck ready for the GP like I think I had the deck ready the week after or so like I played a version that was very close to final in some Sunday side events at the GP and with some friends and that I think is like the biggest missed opportunity for me in Magic because Grinding Station back when nobody was playing Parson Flames nobody had Gatexion Probe in their deck nobody knew what Storm was actually capable of doing yeah. and everyone was just all counter magic in terms of interaction with Storm yeah. that was absurd yeah. like, like my win percentage was way above 80% with the deck mm-hmm. um, I think for the first 20 or so tournaments out of three tournaments I won at least one and never took more than one loss in the others the deck was just completely and utterly ridiculous it's the most broken deck I have ever played I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Humans of Magic I would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better you can find me on Twitter at James underscore Sue. That's James underscore H-S-U. Please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.